Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask that you would just uh, direct us and you would uh, just give us things that that we might hear from you uh, in your holy word. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were at camp, we used to sing uh, a camp song. Uh, It was about Jesus primarily falling asleep on the boat. Uh, in one of the other gospel incidences, and, and it would always go, with Jesus in a boat, you can smile in a storm, smile in a storm, smile in a storm. With Jesus in a boat, you can smile in the storm when you're sailing on. And then it would go, bum, 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 sailing, sailing home, sailing, sailing home. And then as you would sing it, you would take out various words. So you would start with, with instead of saying Jesus, you would just say, hmm, in a boat. You could, it's, it's a fun game uh, to play with the kids. Uh, However, it does, I think, speak to a truth, and of course this is first about a gospel message, that song, a message from the gospels, but it it reminds us that Jesus is always with us, that wherever we are, the Lord goes with us and, and protects us. He is our refuge. He is our care. And we can find ourselves in storms, so to speak, storms of life, trials, And we can start to feel like, where is God? Why is is God allowing this to happen? And even we might ask ourselves, well, if God was really there, why doesn't he spare me from this? And sometimes it can be a test of faith. Sometimes it can be our struggle against unbelief. And we start to think, well, maybe God isn't there. Or we start to say to ourselves, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow me to go through this. That, quite frankly, is a lie. The Lord allows believers to go through many things because he walks through it with us rather than abandoning us. What's fascinating here to me is that in this passage we have Paul going through a shipwreck. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he writes to the Corinthians, he's been in three shipwrecks. And most people think that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, before he journeyed to Rome. So by that count, this is possibly the fourth shipwreck that Paul has been in. And yet this is the only one that is recorded in the book of Acts. Why is that? Why not tell us about all the other shipwrecks as well? Well, for whatever reason, Luke did not find it important. The Holy Spirit did not inspire Luke uh, to write these things. God didn't think we needed to know all the details, but he wanted us to know about this one. And what's also fascinating is that Paul, in his journey, is journeying not only with believers, and, but also with unbelievers. There are various types of people in this boat. And what I want us to start by seeing this morning is Just because there are Christians here, God doesn't uh, exempt the Christians from going through the shipwreck. And this is somehow, sometimes how God walks through with us through the trials of life. He doesn't send us around them. He doesn't hold them off of our plate. But he allows us to experience them. And God is still good. God is still good. God is our refuge, and God is our hope in every trial. And we as believers can handle trials differently than unbelievers. 
because we have a hope in the living God. The first thing I want you to notice here, and and it's kind of obvious, I guess you could say, but believer and unbelievers are in the same boat. They are going to go through the same experience, the same shipwreck, the same events in life. And we often have this in, in our life. Believers and unbelievers, metaphorically, land themselves in the same boat. We know of unbelievers that experience cancer. We know of believers that experience cancer. We know of unbelievers who lose loved ones or children or family members. We know of believers who experience the same things. And on and on we could go. Believer and unbeliever is in the same boat. So we have here in verses 1 to 3, you have Paul, uh, Luke, and Aristocharis are all headed for Rome. Uh, Notice here in the passage that Luke regularly uses we. Uh, Earlier on in the very beginning of of Luke's uh, work in Acts, he doesn't use we. About halfway through, he starts talking about we. We, you can actually time where Luke started following and ministering with Paul. But Luke is here. says, and it was decided that we should sail for Italy. And they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And after embarking on a ship from Adramatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the, the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Uh, This guy here is a believer. This is not one of the other prisoners. This is someone that's coming along to take care of Paul, to attend to Paul, maybe carry various letters for Paul as they get to cities, maybe uh, go into town thinking that someone's going to need to to pick up food for Paul, those sorts of things. Luke is there as well. says in verse 3, The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So Paul is in prison and Paul is in chains and Paul is going under the care of this centurion. But Paul has been a a model prisoner. And Paul is allowed, when they get to this town of Sidon, to disembark from the boat and go visit a few friends, get some food, be cared for, uh, maybe even get a good night's sleep or two. We don't know how long they stayed. But Julius here trusts Paul. How many prison guards do you know if you were transporting uh, prisoners across the state, across the county, or would pull into a McDonald's and let the prisoners get off the bus and, hey, guys, why don't you go order yourself something uh, in the shop there? Uh, no, it, it wouldn't happen. Most of the prisoners are hardened criminals. But Paul has received a special favor from Julius. God has, for whatever reason and purpose, God has caused Julius to look favorably upon Paul. Then we see at Myra, the, the party boards a new ship. So they set out from Sidon, and, and they sail north by northwest. Look at verses 4 and following. And putting out to sea, uh, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea the, to the, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we, made, we came to Myra of Lycia. There was a centurion. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. And we sailed slowly from a number of days and arrived with difficulty off of Snidus. And we, 
as the wind did not allow us to gather farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salmon. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So, in the ancient world, ships could not tack into the wind. So, so tacking is, a, you, you know, you can't run your sailboat right into the wind. If, if the wind is coming down and you're going up, you're not going to make anything, right? So, in today's world, what you do is you tack. You go on an angle and you use the wind, and then you will cross your bow into the, into the wind and go on an, another angle, kind of, uh, not parallel, but sort of on an angle to the wind, and this way you're allowed, you can make progress forward. Well, these boats couldn't tack. So if you encounter a strong headwind, you really are stuck. Your, your progress is slowed. And so they're sailing north from Sidon up along uh, what would be the coast of modern Turkey, and they're, they're hiding, if you will, behind Cyprus. Uh, I had to look up what a lee was. A lee is another nautical term when you're behind an island or some kind of barrier of land and it's, it's shielding you from the oncoming waves. Uh, it's, it's called a lee because you can maneuver your boat. You don't have all the hard waves. If, if a heavy wind or storm is, is hitting uh, the water, it's, it, the island will block you. It's, it's sort of almost like being behind a breakwater. Uh, the irony of this is that the funny thing happened to me. It just happened last night. So I, I studied this this week. I finally figured out what a lee was. I had never heard of this nautical term before. And, and I'm reading a book, and I'm reading a science fiction book uh, about spaceships. And the guy talks about um, they have to hide from an oncoming uh, uh, it's a, a wave. Something is going to blow up. And so they go, and they're going to hide their starships in the lee of the sun. And I go, I know that word. I know what they're doing. The sun is going to block them from this, this wave that would destroy their ships. Well, in this passage, they, they're being blocked from the currents in, in the lee of Cyprus. So I have, if you go to the next slide, uh, AJ, I have a little map here. So you can see they, they leave uh, Caesarea there and they go north uh, to Sidon. And, and Sidon's up here on the coast of Syria. Then they go up and they go around Cyprus, and, and for most of it, they're behind the lee of Cyprus. They're being shielded. So they sail along near Sicilia and Pamphylia, and they land in Myra. Then this arrow isn't quite accurate because they actually go up towards Snidus a little more, uh, kind of above Rhodes there, and then they lose the wind. So they can't, they can't just go straight across. That would be like the quickest route. So they have to end up going south towards Crete so they can take the wind. Uh, at this time of year, uh, the wind started to turn bad. Uh, you can read in um, uh, verse 9, uh, Paul says they shouldn't sail any further. It says, since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also to our lives. And then it says the centurion, he actually pays more attention to the pilot uh, and the owner of the ship than he, than he does to Paul. And they want to move along, and, and they want to get to Phoenix there, uh, from Fairhaven to Phoenix, which, which isn't very far. It's just kind of like a, let, let's just go one more port, if we can, to, to kind of make it. Well, when it says there that it's after the fast, it's referring to 
the Day of Atonement. The, the fast uh, refers to specifically that one done for the Day of Atonement, which the Day of Atonement runs from about, uh, depending on the lunar calendar, from September uh, to mid-September to October. Well, in the Mediterranean, and believe me, I had to look this up. I, did, I didn't know all this. But in the Mediterranean, uh, the seas get pretty rough after about September the 15th. And we actually have uh, uh, an ancient writer uh, from before the time of Paul that talks about the seas being rough after September 15th. And during this time, uh, starting about November 11th through March 10th, they really wouldn't sail. The, the seas would pretty much be closed because it's winter. And you would have storms and you would have gale forces and stuff blowing down from the north. So you can't, if you're going from Alexandria, Egypt to, to Rome, you can't really go that way because you can't get uh, any kind of wind from the south. Which, by the way, it was not uncommon to take grain from Alexandria. You have all of the, the fertile land of the Nile and they would harvest the grain and they would ship it around the world, but especially to Rome. So there wouldn't be famine in Rome. And it's, so it's not uncommon that they found a ship here uh, with grain. And some have suggested, and I, this seems right to me, that, that there would have been a financial incentive for the owner of the ship to make sure they get as far as they can. Uh, the Roman government would pay you extra money if you made the trip at the most dangerous times. And so they're like, yeah, we can, we can get there. We can go. Okay, well, let's, let's just get one more port if we can. And Paul just says, look, guys, the, the storms, the seas get rough. I know it. He, he's been on the seas before. He's been shipwrecked at least three times already. And so he just says, look, I know that the seas get rough, and we're going to have to face this. Well, what do we say to this? What do we do with this? I just want you to notice again, even the believer can be subject to the natural consequences of decisions of others. It's back to this idea that, that sometimes believers and unbelievers are in the same boat. Sometimes we just live in a society or we live with a group of people or we live in a government or we live in a neighborhood where, where sometimes decisions are made and people don't always listen to our voice. And, and sometimes that's okay and sometimes that's good. And, and other times it's just we're going to end up dealing with the consequences that are going on around us. You think of, of various times throughout the ancient world in the Middle Ages – when a plague hits the cities, uh, Christians weren't exempt from the plague. The same thing that was affecting their neighbors would be affecting them. If we lived during the season of, of World War II and we lived in Europe, the same armies that are invading our neighbors' lands who are unbelievers would be the same armies coming through our lands. Why do I say this? Because sometimes as believers we think that if God loves us, he should exempt us from every kind of trial, every kind of circumstance, that we should be protected by a, by a special bubble, if you will. God's hand of protection is upon us. He is a refuge. But him being a refuge doesn't always look like we might expect it to. Like if I was writing this story and if I was making it up or if I was God, I'd be like, hey, the best way to protect Paul would be not to put him on the boat. I could show him how sovereign I was. That's not God's plan. That's not God's ways. Sometimes we think with life, you know, the believer shouldn't have to have cancer. Or if the believer just prays hard enough, 
God will get rid of it. Because that's how we'll know that God loves the believer. And God often doesn't answer our prayers in those ways. Sometimes he does. And praise God when he does. That's his choice. That's his will. And we give him glory for that. But sometimes his plan and purpose is to cause the believer to shine by walking him through the trial. Paul and Luke and their friend, they walk through the shipwreck. And look at how different Paul is in these circumstances. Look at how he's constantly trusting God. Very different from these pagans here. Very different from the regular uh, Romans. Very different, if you will. Think of how the people on the boat with Jonah responded. Hey, we'll trust our gods. Very different in the circumstances. So we have here this morning second, and, and we can move on to number two. The storm actually comes. Uh, So they head out, and there's a hurricane. So it says, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they have obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. So the plan is, we're just going a few miles from Fairhaven to Phoenix. We we don't even have to get very far offshore. We We can stay in sight of land. And you think about, how safe is that? We're close to the land. If anything happens, we can get the ship close to land really quick. Maybe we can... We can pull it up along and anchor it uh, along the shore. If we have to get out, we'll, we'll, we'll be really close. It, it sounds like a sure thing, right? We've planned for everything. And, and then even they get this nice, gentle breeze coming out of the south. So, it, so it's blowing up. So it's like, hey, it can't blow us away from Crete. You know, they're on the south side of Crete. So if it blows from the south, this wind is going to keep pushing us along the southern shores of Crete. It it makes, from a human perspective, perfect sense. But then, of course, the temptuous wind, the hurricane, we could even translate this, uh, typhoon is where the word we get the English word typhoon from, comes up. And it's called the northeaster. So a northern easterly wind, wind from the north, wind from the east, blows down on them and is going to blow them away from Crete. And they come along and they actually have to watch out for a small island Uh, underneath uh, Crete called Caudus. And there again, they're worried about running under the lee of a, or they run under the lee of a small island there. And they manage to secure the boat. So, So everything starts going wrong. We've got this nice wind. It'll push us north. It's calm, peaceful seas. And all of a sudden, boom. The, the expected winds of the fall season coming out of the north start happening. And then on top of that, they get sacked with some kind of crazy hurricane-like storm. Um, if you've ever been through a hurricane, even in your house, you know uh, that it's no fun. Uh, when, we, when my parents were missionaries out on Guam for a while, the island every now and then would get hit with these typhoons. And, and when these things come... We, would have, we had concrete houses, most of us, because that was the only thing that you could build that would stand up to it. So you get in your house, you put boards on your windows, it's really dark, the storm blows, the, the boards sometimes rattle, uh, the wind is, and rain, it's not just falling vertically, it'll like fall horizontally, uh, branches will blow down the street, power lines fall, it's crazy. Then you can go out when the eye of the storm gets over you, 
and you can go out and you can literally see the sun and, and it's peaceful, it's calm, there's literally no breeze. Then you go back inside and you get the second half of the storm as the rest of the storm passes over. But can you imagine, can you imagine being on a ship and, and not, not, like a, you know, not like an aircraft carrier ship, which are, which are fairly solid. I still wouldn't want to take one of those through a hurricane. But, but you are on a rickety wooden boat. Can you imagine that? And, and they are in there for, for 14 days. And it, and it says in verse 20, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. No small tempest is a nice understatement there. It's a way of saying this thing was huge. It was like nothing the, the sailors have ever seen. It, it's like in that movie, you know, The Perfect Storm, where the two storms come together and they make this mega storm. This was, this was big. And these sailors that are used to it get to this point where, where they say, we don't have any hope. All hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Now, I don't think that, that Luke necessarily means this about them, the, themselves as Christians. As, as believers, uh, they would trust in the Lord through this. But the only one that we know that has to be saved here out of this is Paul. And the only reason we know that is Paul was told by an angel all the way back in 23, chapter 23, you will testify before me in Rome. So, so in theory... Luke could be sitting there saying, well, Paul has to survive, but God hasn't really promised me that I'll survive. I'm with him. I don't know what's going to happen. And, and so I think Luke's not just talking about himself, though. He's also talking about these, these hardened sailors. There's nothing we can do. We're at the mercy of the seas. There's no way we're going to get out of this. Sometimes even, even as believers we say that. We, we know that God is in control and we're trusting at God, but, but we just kind of look at human circumstances and, and we just say, there's no way out of this. We're, we're going to wreck. It's, it's going to have to happen. And this is how the sailors are. Humanly speaking, there is no hope for them in and of this storm and getting out of it alive. Even the believers aren't guaranteed that they're going to get out of it alive. You see, they have to trust God. But God yet, at this point, hasn't given them the promise that, that you're going to survive it. It would be easy to, for, for Luke to say, hey, well, you know, I'm a believer too. Therefore, God needs to save me out of this. I don't know about you pagans. But the reality is that this could have been the way that God was calling Luke home to heaven, right? They're in the same boat, going through the same storm. This is why, you know, we believe that God is sovereign over all things. And we believe that God is in control over all things. But we need to be careful that we don't read promises into the Bible that aren't there. Promises where we say things like, well, if I just pray for this healing to come, it has to come. Sometimes God's will is that we go through the disease. 
James chapter 4 says this, Come now, you who say, Tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this and or that. Our lives are not guaranteed that we will have tomorrow. We can make plans. We can plan to go here. We can plan to get a new job here. We can plan to move or travel or or go on vacation or have a birthday party. But all of those things are in the hands of the Lord. And so even as we make plans, we should say, well, I'm going to do this if it is the Lord's will. God doesn't promise that just because you want to do something, even something that's good, that it will necessarily happen the way that you want. But notice in this passage how God, through Paul, brings hope to the hopeless. Starting in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood among them and said, Men, you have listened to me and have not, you have not, excuse me, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. You see, now we have the word from the Lord. And and part of the word from the Lord through the angel is Paul, you need to go to Caesar. Well, we already knew that. I, I don't think Paul was arrogant or prideful here in, on this boat, but, but he kind of honestly could have just said, well, you know, if the boat wrecks, at least I'll still make it to Rome. I've got that promise. But now the promise is expanded. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So Paul can say to them, and this is, this is where Paul really starts living out his faith in this passage. I have faith in God, he says. I trust God. This is what God has told me he will do, and therefore I trust him. You can trust him too. God has told me that your life will be spared. And you can trust Him. You can take that Word of God and take it to the bank, so to speak. How true is that with us? When we have a Word from God, when God says in His Scriptures, I will be a refuge to me, to you. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When God says, those who Hope in the Lord will not be put to shame. We can take those things to the bank. It doesn't always mean that the circumstances might come out the way that I want them. But it does mean God is with me. God is my refuge. God is my ever-present help and comfort in every trial. And I can trust Him. 
Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were Daniel's three friends. Remember how they're, they're told to, to bow down before the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And if they don't, they're going to be put to death and, and thrown in the fiery furnace. Do you remember what they said? They said something to the effect of, we trust the living God, the true God. And he will deliver us. And we always stop there and we miss the next verse. The next verse says, and even if he does not, we will not bow to this idol. It, it was an act of faith. We, we know God is our refuge. We know God can deliver us. We're trusting that that's what he'll do if that's his will. But guess what, king? Even if he doesn't deliver us, even if we die, we will die for his name and not bow to this idol. That is, that is the kind of faith that we need to have walking through the trials and storms of life. I believe God. And God will deliver me if that is his will. And even if he doesn't, God is still good. God is still gracious. God is still caring. You think about the martyrs in the early church and down through church history and even into today. People that are carried before the lions. People that are burned at the stake. People that are shot for their testimony as Christians. Do you think they prayed for God to deliver them? I'm sure they did. Did God fail them? Did God let them down? Has God's curse somehow come upon them? Did He not answer them because they didn't have enough faith? Absolutely not. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Which means oftentimes what happens, you know how You know how a seed grows on a tree and it has to fall off and die so that a new tree can be planted? Oftentimes what happens when martyrs lose their lives, when they go like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, we trust God even if he doesn't deliver us. Unbelievers see those things. Unbelievers go, what is different about this person? They see them put to death and suffer even horrendous torture. And they say, you know what? I'm interested in this God. I want to know this Jesus. And it can happen in just about any circumstance in life that you go through as a believer. People I know that have had cancer, uh, a a friend and a, a fellow pastor, about a year or two ago, died of of cancer. And of course we were praying that he would be healed. But he wasn't. But I tell you, the godliness that he showed during that time, it it was almost as if his uh, face radiated the glory of God. You could see the, the testimony 
Just the trust that he had. Just the, he was more concerned about his, his wife and his children than he was about his own life. He said, hey, I'm going to heaven. Did he want to stay? Yeah. Did he want to be healed? Absolutely. Did his family want him to be healed? Did they pray hard for it? Yes. But at the end of the day, that wasn't God's will. The believer isn't exempt from suffering just because they're a believer. The believer isn't exempt from the wreck and the storm just because they're a believer. But the believer has God who walks with them through it. And the believer is transformed as we trust God going through it. And oftentimes, I think we'll find when we get to heaven that not only did God get more glory because we went through the suffering and we had to rely 100% upon Him, I think we may find that we have a greater crown because we endured and walked with the Lord as opposed to being given the easy route of take this out of my hand so I don't have to suffer through it. I'm not saying that we should wish for suffering We certainly should not turn a cold and calloused heart to those who are going through it. Oh, that's just God's will. We should have compassion. But we shouldn't think that God's forgotten us. And we shouldn't think that God is not somehow our refuge through it. Not necessarily by taking us around it. Notice then that how God delivers in our passage. And that's our third point. Notice that Paul encourages all on the ship. So they've been there 14 days. Verse 33, he says, you know, take some food, eat. He he prays with them, verse 35. And when he had said these things, he broke bread. And giving thanks to God in his presence, he broke it and he began to eat. I wonder what meals were like on the boat before they were in the storm. Now, I'm speculating here a little bit, and hopefully you'll, you'll just allow a little bit of, of creative, uh, imaginative thinking. But I can imagine a scenario, because it's just so true to how we often experience things in life. I can imagine a scenario where at every other meal, Paul has prayed. And at every other meal, there have been people around them that don't care, people around them that could care less, people maybe that are even snickering, oh, there's that Paul. Haha, <laughs> he's got to, you know, I, I went to public school for a little while. I know what it's like in the lunchroom and how people act if you bow your head in prayer. But somehow I can imagine that it seems like I bet this prayer was different. I bet even the, the hardened belie- non-believers were sitting there and at least respectfully listening to Paul. Kind of like a, okay, he trusts in his God. Maybe I'm not there yet. But I'll just wait and see what happens because I'm really hoping we get out of this, right? It just just strikes me that's how human nature would be. But but I think here Paul is being a testimony. How many of you, in the middle of a storm, like a real hurricane, in a boat like this, would sit there and thank God for your food? We could be about to die. But I will thank God for my food. Well, now they have the promise that they're not going to die. But still, that simple faith, 
that simple moment of God, each day that I have, each meal that I eat, I can take nothing for granted. It's all a gift from you. Paul is literally thanking the Lord for his daily bread. Paul lives his faith through the midst of a trial. Out of this, we see that everyone's life is spared. You'll see when they run aground, they they cut the anchors, they loosen the rudder, they, they run the ship aground, the bow strikes, it's immovable. Verse 42, it says that the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away, probably because if prisoners got away, the, the, the other soldiers could probably lose their life. Now here the centurion intervenes. It's a good thing the centurion thought kindly of Paul because it allows them to save all of the prisoners. Then it says in verse 44 that they were allowed to swim and the rest, quote, on planks and on pieces of the ship. And so it was that they were all brought to safety. On the one hand, God didn't do anything miraculous here. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, God could have just, like he did with Jesus, you know, Paul stands up and says, quiet, and the storms could have stopped. Paul could have said, dear God, stop these storms right now. Boom, they're done. God could have uh, parted the sea and they walk onto the island, onto Malta, on dry ground. That would have been pretty miraculous. And everybody would have said, wow, Paul, your God did this. What does, Paul, what does God do to deliver them? It is miraculous. It is God's hand of protection, His providence, it's His care. But He uses ordinary means. The boat still crashes. The people are still soaking wet and have to swim to shore. And, and you know what it's like if you're ever outside on a rainy day when it's cold. And you know how by the end of the day your, your bones start to shiver. The first time we put the Christmas lights on the tree, it was cold, it was wet, and I think it was a little windy. And your hands start to, to tighten up. You can't grip anything. And these guys were going through this for 14 days. And now it's, everybody jump overboard, we're swimming. But that was God. That was God protecting them. You and I need to remember that. You're driving down the street, and you have a near miss in a car accident. It wasn't an accident. It was God's control was God's plan. It was God's sovereignty. Maybe you even get into the accident and God doesn't deliver you out of it the way you would have liked. And you end up in the hospital. The ambulance takes you there. Guess what? It is still God's plan. It is still God's guiding you. It is still God's protection upon you. God uses ordinary means. And just like Paul gives thanks here for, for just his daily bread, you and I need to be a people who give thanks to God in every area of our life. If I would have been with Paul, I would have grumbled, quite frankly. God, why do you have to have me here for 14 days? You know I don't like the cold air. You know my hands get freezing and my bones ache after this. Why, why are you making me swim, God? God. 
It's so cold in that water. Why can't you, you know, give me a whale to ride on like, like Jonah? Send a big fish along and I'll get there faster. I would have grumbled and complained just like the children of Israel. We need to see God's sovereign hand and thank him for everything. Paul talks in Philippians, he says, I know the secret of contentment. He says, I'm not speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever the situation, I am content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul knows what it's like to be shipwrecked. He knows what it's like to swim to shore. He knows what it's like to suffer, to have illness, to have colds, to have hardships, to have um, um, be beaten and left for dead. And he can be content in the very great times when everything is going well. That's when it's easy. But he can also be content in the very low times because God is his refuge. And he trusts God. And he trusts what God is doing. There may be something in your life that God doesn't take it out of your life because God's plan is to walk with you through it. Will you trust God? Will you find your contentment in God in those moments? May the Lord work that spirit in our hearts. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask that you would guide and direct us, Lord. That you would remind us that that you do not exempt us from all the trials and circumstances and sufferings of life, even the shipwrecks. But Lord, you are there. Your hand of providence, your hand of sovereign control guides and directs all things. And you have a special love and care for your children, even in and through those circumstances. We think of, of Psalm 23, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Oh Lord, be our great shepherd. Be our rod and our staff. Comfort us. Be a refuge for us. In your name we pray. Amen.